Hey, welcome to the first Sunday of 2019. Hope you're finding yourself in a good place right now, especially if you're a guest, a good place to explore faith and get closer to God and experience some community. And of course, with the new year, that typically means change. There's things about our lives that we want to change. Maybe you come to a place where you're saying, you know what, I, I, need, to, uh, I need to change my habits, man. I need to, I need to get clean and sober. Or I need to, uh, to get healthy, to stop smoking, start exercising, lose some weight. I'm, I need to quit cheating on my wife. I need to stop sleeping around. I need to move out of my boyfriend's house. I know that's not right either. I'm doing all these things. I know even as a Christian, I need to clean up my act, man. I need to give up the pornography. I need to clean up my language. I need to get my temper under control. I need to change the kind of entertainment I'm letting fill in my mind because I'm doing things I wouldn't really want anybody else to know I'm doing, and I'm doing stuff I would not want my kids to imitate. And so I need to do something to get my life back on track. And Everyone has something in their life that they want to change, which is why we make these kinds of New Year's resolutions, and people try to do it by their own efforts, by willpower. Other people say, I need a little bit more help than that, so they get some counseling, they get some therapy. And so uh, years ago, one of my favorite comedy sketches ever was on Mad TV about a woman who goes to a therapist and ends up getting a little bit more straightforward counseling than she was counting on. Watch. Oh. kind of counseling, baby. Quick and easy. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way, right? Uh, it's never that easy because most of the things we got to change about ourselves, we need some help with, and they're, they're bigger than we can handle ourselves. There's some things we can change about ourselves, our behaviors, but we can't really change ourselves, who we are, our nature, our character. And so here's our dilemma is the, the big things about us, we aren't able to change on our own. Maybe that's why you're here. You know that you need God's help to do this, and maybe you're not even uh, on board with this whole Bible, Jesus, church kind of thing, but you know that there's, there's things about your life that you need to change that aren't right, and you're willing to give God a chance. Maybe you're somebody who has experienced that change in the past. You've come to faith in Christ, but for some reason you kind of stalled out spiritually. You hit a bit of a wall. Maybe you came to faith in Christ at some point, but you never really made too many changes at all. There's not much of a difference how can that be? Well, you know, just because you know the right path to take doesn't necessarily mean you're going to take it. Sometimes we stay on the path we're on. I wish there were a simple one, two, three formula for changing our lives to bring easy change. I wish we could just say, stop it, or do this, or do that, but it won't work that way, and it's rarely an overnight deal. And so the Bible says, here's our problem. We've got these incredibly wicked hearts. Uh, our, our natures have been twisted and corrupted by sin, and so we, we do whatever we want to do. You know, and the, the good things we want to do, we don't do, and the bad things we don't want to do, that's what we do. And it corrupts our, our whole system, you know, our whole desire. It sets us on this course that takes us far away from God, separates us. So here's the deal. We need more than that. We need something from God. We need help. We need hope. We need direction from God to change if we're really going to make those kinds of changes. So here's what I'm hoping to accomplish in this series, and especially today, is to move us to a place where we invite God to convict us of our need to empty our lives of all the junk so that we can fill it with more of him. Does anybody have a junk drawer? Let me see. How many people have a junk drawer in their house, right? Just a, a place where you throw all the useless things, the things of very little value. Uh, 
kind of a scrap heap of things you're never really ever going to get around to using. Well, the new year is a good time to clean out the junk. Clean out the junk drawer. Clean out the junk piling up in your basement that you're never going to use. You don't even know it's down there. Good time to clean out your pantry and your refrigerator of all the junk food that's making us unhealthy. Good time to clean out the junk music on our playlists that's rotten for our souls. Clean out the junk programs on our Netflix watch list that's corrupting our, our hearts. Time to, to clean out our junk websites on our browsers. Clean out the literal junk, the, the mentally messed up stuff we're putting in our bodies that's contaminating us. The mind-altering things that, uh, that are harming us. Clean it out. That's our big idea, is to empty your life, empty it of the sin and substitutes so that we can draw near to God. Do you want that? Do you want to draw near to God? Because God's calling us as individuals and as a church to a new level of closeness with him. You remember <clears throat> this, uh, this theme verse from last week given to us by the brother of Jesus, James chapter 4, verse 8? In fact, we'll say it out loud again together. Here we go. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. There it is. Do you want to draw near to God? Because see, God can't come near us until we're ready to draw near to him. And we can't draw near to him the way we are. Why? Because God is holy and I'm not. Sin can't enter into God's perfect righteous presence. So I got, I got a problem here because I'm a mess. I'm covered in the filth of my own Bad decisions, my immorality, my disobedience, covered in filth. You know those old good news, bad news jokes? One of my favorites from way back is on one of those old Viking ships where they would have all the slaves under deck um, sitting on those long benches with the long oars, you know, and they'd be rowing the boat all day, all night, all day, all night. So uh, after many days of rowing, you know, these guys, their clothes are just uh, filthy, grimy, sweaty, disgusting clothes. Well, after many days of rowing, the captain comes down below the deck and he says, men, I have some good news and some bad news. Good news is, you all get to change underwear. The bad news is, you change with him, you change with him. You... I know it's a junior high joke, but that's where I heard it. But it's a good one because it, it reminds us of our situation. We think we're so much better than other people. We're so much cleaner. Compared to others, we're relatively righteous we look pretty good until we begin comparing ourselves to God. When we see ourselves through his eyes and understand the mess that we're really in. I mean, look what Isaiah says way back in his book in chapter 64. He says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like what? Filthy rags. Now, if you really want to get... Graphic here in a strong word in the Hebrew language. Filthy rags refers to soiled, disgusting undergarments. That's what all of the, the goodness we think is in us, that's all it is. It's just filthy rags. All the good deeds that we do are contaminated by impure motives, by these wicked hearts and these sinful deeds. It, it's all a mess. And we can never make ourselves good enough in God's sight or make ourselves worthy to live together with him forever in his presence. And so for Isaiah, it actually took a vision for him to see himself in his true situation. 
Maybe that's what we all need to do. We need to see ourselves in the same situation. Isaiah saw himself standing before the Lord, high and lifted up in his holy temple, in his glory, surrounded by angels who were covering their faces with their wings, singing of his holiness. And then that's when Isaiah realized, oh no, uh, I'm a mess. I'm covered in filth. He says, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And so when you see yourself in the light of his perfection and righteousness, you no longer compare yourselves to the relative goodness and badness of other people. You only see yourself compared to him. And you say, oh, I, I, I'm undone. I'm doomed. I, I, I can't get near to God. I deserve his wrath because I'm a miserable sinner. It's like Simon Peter, when he got near Jesus and finally really realized who he was, saw his perfection, his character, his, his power, and he, he says, uh, he falls to his knees before Jesus and says, Lord, please leave me. I, I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. Now, the good news is Jesus says, Simon, don't be afraid, because he wants us to be near to him. But first, we've got to deal with our sinfulness. If we've got to get close to God, we've got to remove the obstacles that are keeping us separate from God, far away from God. See, real change only happens when we come to the end of ourselves, the end of our efforts, and we realize, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm undone, God. I can't do this. I can't make myself good enough, righteous enough. I need your help. I, I'm sorry for what I've done. I don't, want, I don't want to do these things anymore, God. Help me. Okay, that's good. Now you're at a place where you can begin to empty out the sin and the substitutes so that God will no longer be at a distance. You're at a place where God can begin to change you because you've recognized, I need to repent. And repent is a great Greek word in the New Testament, metanoia, which means you've got to change your way of thinking. I repent. I'm changing my mind. Because if you want to change your life, if you want to change your behaviors, it's got to begin with the way you think. And we don't think right. Because we want to do what we want to do instead of what God wants to do. And, and so it's, it's not just being sorry. Repent isn't just saying, I'm sorry. Even though that's a good thing to apologize. It's, and it's, it's deeper than just feeling guilt. Because that just makes you feel bad and shameful about yourself. No, repent is changing your mind, agreeing with God and saying, no more of that. Stop it. I'm going to do 180. I'm sorry enough that I want to change. I want to turn. Now, way back in the Old Testament, God's people, they were supposed to love them with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you know what they would often end up doing? They'd end up loving other gods. They'd have all these idols. And where they would go to meet with these false gods, these lesser substitute gods, is up on these hills. They'd go to the high places because the thought was, well, the higher up you are, the closer you are to the, to the deities. And they would construct these shrines up there, and they would make sacrifices to their idols. But when revival would break out, the people would repent, and there would be renewal. You know what they'd do? They'd go up to those high places, and they'd tear down the idols. And they'd smash the shrines, and they would remove the high places altogether. And maybe that's what needs to happen in a lot of our lives. If we're ready to really get right with God, we've got to remove the high places. We've got to tear down the idols in our lives, whatever things we have put in place of God in our hearts, whether it's relationships 
or positions or power, prestige, popularity, possessions, all of that stuff that's replaced God has got to go. Scripture says in Acts 17 that now he, God, he commands everyone everywhere to turn, turn away from their idols and turn to him. And so we, we bring it all to Jesus. We confess our failings to him. It doesn't matter what we've done in the past. All the secrets that we've kept, God knows it all. We just lay it on the table and we say, I don't want to do that stuff anymore, Lord. Jesus came with this message, repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is near. God wants to draw near to us. And he, and he says, unless you repent, you too will perish. You'll perish. You'll, you'll, you'll stay separated from God forever. God wants you to draw near. He wants to bring his kingdom near you, in you. He wants to bring his rule to your heart. Repentance prepares us for that and permits us to pursue God, to pursue his presence. So think about all that you've been missing out. What blessings have been withheld? What joy, what peace we've missed out on because we've refused to change. So again, remember our theme verse, James 4, 8. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. But that chapter goes on. James says, wash. Now, understand, he's speaking to Christians here. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you hypocrites. I'm not a very sensitive guy. Let there be what? Tears. When's the last time you cried for the wrong things you've done? Let there be sorrow and deep grief. And when you bow down before the Lord and you admit your dependence on him, he'll lift you up and give you honor. Maybe some tears need to fall. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 7.10. In fact, everybody out loud together. Here we go. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. In other words, when you repent, don't wallow in regret. It's like the difference between Peter and Judas Iscariot. You know, when Peter denied the Lord three times, he, he cries. He weeps bitterly over what he's done. And he returns to Jesus, and he restores him. He's restored. Godly sorrow brought him back to salvation. Judas Iscariot, though, his regret over his betrayal of Jesus led him to a noose. His worldly sorrow led him to suicide. Godly sorrow brings us back to God, and it feels so good. It feels so good to be forgiven. And to have that burden of guilt lifted off of you, to be freed from that bondage that you've been in. And who knows better than the Apostle Paul, the guy who said, I'm the worst sinner of all. He says in Romans 4, Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Feels good. Now, I'm going to talk to three kinds of people. I know there are probably a lot more, but we're just going to categorize this into three groups today, and we're going to let these three stools represent the three groups of people, all right? And so stool number one, these are those, remember, who are fully devoted to Jesus Christ. You, uh, you have experienced that cleansing, and you know how good it feels to be forgiven. This is a good place to be, close to God. Um, you're not perfect, but you're forgiven. And his righteousness is covering you and changing you. And 
the Holy Spirit living in you is helping you to sin less and less and less. And so to you, I would say, keep going. Don't, don't turn back. Don't, don't let yourself become satisfied or stalled in your spiritual walk. Because God's got more for you. He wants you to experience more of his grace and his love and his power. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says this. If you keep yourself pure, you'll be a utensil that God can use for his purpose. Your life will be clean and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. So he wants to use you and he has so much more for you. So many more blessings and expansion of your calling, uh, so much more of his presence in your life. Now, if you're in stool number three, these are those who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ. And you need to understand your situation before God, that you are separated from him by your sin. Now, it doesn't mean that you're any worse than anybody else. It actually means you're just like everybody else who needs to be forgiven. And to you, I would say, open your heart to God. Because he's not going to force his way in. You've got to make the choice to let him into your life. To start to make things right. And it doesn't matter what you've done. How far away you've gotten. Whether you're ten steps away from God or a million steps away from God. God's got all the evidence he needs to convict you. He knows what you've done. And it's like the little boy who's out throwing pebbles at his daddy's car in the driveway. And when his fuming father suddenly appears and says, Boy, you ready to tell me how sorry you are? The little guy says, Well, I don't know how much you saw. <laughs> He's seen it all, my friends. Every word you've spoken, every deed you've done, everything you've ever harbored in your heart has been witnessed and recorded. And you have a date with judgment unless you admit your need for salvation. You know, I love how author Paul Little compares our situation to a group of people standing on a California beach, you know, along the Pacific coastline. And if they were asked to swim to Honolulu, how many do you think would make it? Well, the inexperienced swimmer might make it 20 feet. The Olympic champion might swim out 20 miles. But guess what? Nobody's going to make it to Hawaii. All are doomed. But what if the captain of a cruise ship came alongside close to the shore and called out an invitation for a free trip to anyone who wants to get on board? We'll take you to Hawaii. Now how many people could make it? Well, anybody who's willing to admit their inadequacy and to put their trust in that captain. Get on board. But you know who's going to be the last person to get on that, that ship? Is the experienced swimmer who still thinks I can make it on my own. Their pride prevents them from humbly admitting their need. And that's where a lot of us may be. Sometimes the most difficult person to reach for God are the good moral people who think, I'm good enough. I'll make it on my own. It's time to see yourself through God's eyes. 
your true situation. Because salvation is only offered to anybody who's willing to admit they need God's help. They need Jesus to save them. The promise for you is in Acts 3.19. Now turn, there's that word again, turn from your sins and turn to God so that you can be cleansed of your sins. Cleansed. And then wonderful times of refreshment. Feels good. Will come from the presence of of the Lord. Okay, well, let me talk to those of you now who are on this middle stool. Those who are caught somewhere in the middle. Someone who has faith, but hasn't really fully devoted themselves to God. And you have, your life is marked by spiritual instability and inconsistency and compromise because. You're so filled up with the things of this world that you've emptied yourself of God and your prayer life has gone downhill and you no longer have a hunger for God's work and you don't show up to church all the time like you used to and you don't even really like to be around other Christians and you're not making an impact for the kingdom on anybody else in this world. And there's something keeping you Something coming between you and God. And David in Psalm 66 talks about that when he says, well, if I had cherished sin in my heart, well, the Lord wouldn't have listened. That's why you're feeling distant from God is because you're, you're holding on to the sin in your life. You're not, you're not emptying yourself of that stuff. And so this isn't a good place to be. This is kind of a miserable place to be because God's gonna, not going to come near you until you come clean. Change isn't going to happen until you see yourself in God's eyes. How, and look, it, it doesn't matter how f- far away you are. You can come back. But here's the thing. As a, as a Christian, your goal now is not to see how far you can get away from God and still call yourself a Christian. It's to see how close you can get to Christ and be, lo- be like him. And the same thing is true for us as a church. Look, if you're on stool number two, you're in a good place to let your heart be broken by the Spirit. You're ready to get back on track with God. Let's do this as a church. Look, we're never going to make an impact on our community. We're never going to be effective in our witness and reaching people for Jesus unless they see a difference in us. Until there's a revival of holiness in the church where God's people actually look different, not weird, not strange, but different in an attractive way. We stand out. We don't live like everybody else. We love each other. We're full of kindness and compassion and peace and joy. And we're emptying ourselves out of all the gossip and bitterness and the lying and cheating and and the, the crudity and vulgarity and all that garbage from the world. Enough. We don't want any more of that. Look what Isaiah goes on to say. Chapter 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's... What? When is that? Right now. He's come near you right now. So let the wicked forsake his way. And the evil man, his thoughts, let him turn. There it is again. Turn to the Lord, and he'll have mercy on him and to our God, and he will freely pardon. So what's holding you back from doing that, from drawing near to God? Let it go. Give it up. Stop it. Turn. Empty your life of the sin and substitute so that you can draw close to God. Now, next week, I hope you come back and you bring somebody with you because now we're ready to see how to get close to God. 
See, because now that, that we've put ourselves in a place where we're, we're pursuing God, we're emptying our lives of the sin and the substitute, we're ready to be filled up with more and more of God. Sound good? Maybe you're somebody who's a believer right now. You count yourself as a believer. You know about Jesus. You show up to church every now and then, maybe even volunteer. But truthfully, you've never surrendered your life to Christ. And you don't know, if I died tonight, would I be with the Lord forever? Well, you can, you can be sure of that. You can move to this first stool. All it takes is getting up from where you are right now and moving over. Saying, all right, I'm ready. That's it. From now on, I'm ready to get close to God. I'm, maybe you're way over here and you say, I'm, okay, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus today. I'm going to repent, turn, turn to God. I'm going to be baptized into Christ so I can be forgiven and filled with the Holy Spirit. You got the opportunity to do that today. We're going we're, we're to do that. But I'm telling you what, if you're, on, if you're on stool number two, God is waiting for his people to get serious, to, to be bold enough, to be desperate enough for him that they would drop to their knees, shed some tears, and say, enough of that. I want to get close to God. And I want you to see some of the people over the past few weeks who made that decision to get close to God through baptism. I hear you call my name I don't want to hesitate I can't live another day like this So here I am letting go some time to pray right now, to get your heart right with God, wherever you are, whatever stool you're on right now, right where you're sitting. You don't have to come up to these stools. You stay right in your chair and you pray in your heart silently to God. Get down on your knees if you want to. That's fine because we're not looking at you. We're looking at God right now. Our eyes are going to be closed. All eyes are on God spiritually. And maybe you need more room and you just want to come down front, man. You just, we'll just turn this place into a prayer altar. That's fine. You come kneel down somewhere along the front here and say, all right, 
this is, this is my stake in the ground from this day forward, all right? Uh, I want to be different from here on out. If you need to move out, you know, your, your neighbor will let you out. That's fine. But all eyes on God right now. Let's pray. Lord, for those who are on that first stool, I want to pray that you'd help them to stay close to you, Lord. Help us. We, we depend on you to keep us holy because we, we can't do it. We take no pride in ourselves. We're just sinful people who, who battle against our own hearts, against our enemy, the devil, against the temptations of this world. So would you remove the impurities from our lives, from our thoughts, from our words and our actions. God, I want to I pray for those who are on that second stool, that as they're coming close to you now in, in brokenness and sorrow, God, maybe some have been in outright rebellion. Others, they've just kind of drifted away. They've, they've uh, uh, you know, taken some steps away from you, God. They've forced you a little bit out of their lives and, and wandered off track. But Lord, thankfully, God, because of Jesus, whether they're ten steps away or a million steps away, it's just this one step back right now. And Lord, we all, we all, we'd say this prayer, I'm guilty, I'm unrighteous. Undo me, forgive me, help me, remake me. We empty ourselves. Whatever's holding us back, God, our past, our, our circumstances, the the times we've messed up. I want to begin letting go of some of those things so I can begin to change. Right now, you just where are you sitting? You go ahead and you, you do business with God. You pray silently. We're still praying, and if you're somebody who, who's on that third stool and you're ready to make that decision for Christ, you can pray this with me, just in your own words, saying, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry. I repent. I turn to you in faith right now. I want to thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, paying the price I couldn't pay. Thank you for rising from the dead so that I can live forever too with you. I want you to be my forgiver. I want you to be my leader. I want you to be the, the true change agent in my life. I want to follow you the rest of my days, however long or short that may be. And I pray that in Jesus' name.